I want to talk to you today about the promise of a name. The promise of a name. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 35. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Father, we ask that you would today, as we look into your word, as we look into this gospel message, I ask that you would, by the power of your Spirit, open our hearts and our minds, reveal the truth of your word to us, that it would dispel, Lord, the fear, that it would dispel, Lord, anything that would oppose you or would oppose us and all that we are, all that we have become in Jesus Christ. Father, we ask this to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The promise of a name. So I want you, I want you to think about this. There is a name that represents you, and you represent a name. Here in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 35, are the words recorded that the angel spoke to Mary. And the angel said to Mary, This child that will be conceived in you by the Holy Spirit, you shall call his name Jesus. There is the promise of a name. He will be called Jesus He will be called the Son of God. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, we see the account where the angel then comes to Joseph. So Mary and Joseph were betrothed. That means they were, in our modern understanding, engaged to be married. The only difference is, in Jewish culture, to be betrothed was as good as being married. The only thing that had not happened yet was The marriage was not consummated. They had not had physical, sexual relations. They had not consummated the marriage. But in terms of the binding agreement of the betrothal, they were, in all practical purposes, married. And so Joseph, espoused to Mary, finds out, discovers that Mary is pregnant, 
And the Bible says him being a just man decides to put her away quietly and not make a public example of her. And while Joseph is asleep one night, the angel comes to Joseph and tells Joseph, don't be fearful to marry Mary. (laughs) Marry Mary, because Mary has been visited by God and she carries within her the seed of the Most High. Here's what the angel said, and she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means salvation, God's salvation. God is salvation. God is our salvation. Jesus is the only way to salvation. The angel tells Joseph that Mary carries a child, the Son of God. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That means that if you are God's child, if you are God's people, he has saved you from your sin. The angel goes on telling Joseph, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. You might say, now wait a minute, is his name Jesus or Emmanuel? Yes, he is Jesus, for he is salvation. He is the Son of the Most High. He is called the Son of God. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. So Jesus wasn't just a great man, a great prophet, a great teacher, a great rabbi. Jesus, born of a virgin, is the Son of the Most High. He is the Son of God. In fact, He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. What many people don't know is Jesus was actually a very common name because every Jewish mother and father wanted their son to be the Messiah. And in hopes that their son might be the Messiah, many of them named their sons Jesus, or we would understand it better in Hebrew as Yeshua or Joshua in English. That is what Jesus is. He is Yeshua, he is God's salvation. The difference between Jesus and every other child that carried that name is that Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He was conceived there, implanted by the Holy Spirit. He is the Son of the Most High. He is indeed the Son of God. And then the Bible tells us in Luke 2.21, when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, we could spend a whole lot of time, and I don't have a whole lot of time, we could literally spend weeks talking about the name of Jesus. We could spend time, much, much time, talking about the names that are attributed to Jesus. 
we'll touch on just a few here today, but this is really a very comprehensive subject. So when we talk about the promise of a name, when the angel comes and he declares, you shall call his name Jesus, to really understand what that implies, you have to go to the whole of Scripture and see the promise that God gave to humanity from the very beginning. And the promise of a name carries promise for each one of us today. We baptize prudence today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We baptized her in the name of Jesus. We baptized her in the name of the triune God. You are saved today because of a name. His name is Jesus. You are saved by Jesus, not just because he's called Jesus, but because he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. His birth was like no other. His life was like no other. His death was like no other. For his death resulted in his resurrection, and he is the first fruits of resurrection. He was the first to be resurrected. He wasn't the first to be raised from the dead. He was the first to be resurrected in life. Lazarus was raised from the dead. He wasn't resurrected. Lazarus died again. Everyone that's ever been raised from the dead, their dead bodies were resuscitated, were revived, only to die again. But Jesus was the first to ever be resurrected to an eternal life, a life that overcame death, And because he is resurrected, because he is the resurrection and the life, we have that same promise. And that promise is given to us by a name and in a name, in the name of Jesus. The promise of his name is God's promise to his children. So who is Jesus? In Genesis 3.15, he is called the seed, the one promised to come and crush the head of the serpent. God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he will come and he will crush your head. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. 1 John 3, 8 says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. His name shall be called Jesus. Jesus came for a specific purpose. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And in destroying the works of the devil, he has brought about our salvation. In Genesis 12, 7, he is the seed promised to Abraham that would bless all the families of the earth. Paul writes in Galatians 3, 16, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one. To your seed, who is Christ. Christ is 
the promised seed, the promise made to the serpent, the promise made to Adam and Eve, the promise made to Abraham. Paul writes in Galatians 3.29, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Are you Christ's? Do you belong to Christ today? If you belong to Christ today, the Bible says, then you are heirs. You are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. According to whose promise? According to God's promise. In Isaiah 9.6, he is called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Listen to what the prophet writes in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Over 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus, The prophet Isaiah pins these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The same prophet who prophesied that the virgin will bring forth a child and he shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Who is this child born? Who is this son given? Well, he is the one upon which the government will rest. His name is Wonderful. His name is Counselor. His name is Mighty God. His name is Everlasting Father. His name is Prince of Peace. There is promise in His name. Isaiah 53, 2. He is called the root that grows up out of dry ground. He is the root that determines the fruit. He is the root that determines if we are good trees producing good fruit or if we are not. If he is not our root, then we are fit only for the fire. In Zechariah 6.12, he is called the branch that will build the temple of the Lord. All of these names are like different roads. You take a name and you can just go down a path and see exactly what that name implies and the promise that name holds and how that promise and how that name brings God's promise to us and how we have been brought into that promise and what that promise implies for us. In Zechariah 6.12, when he is called the branch that will build the temple of the Lord, there is much implied. Well, what does the temple of the Lord have to do with you and me? The temple of the Lord, as the prophet would have understood it, as the people in Jesus' day would have understood it, The temple of the Lord was the temple. It was the physical temple. It was the second temple built after the captivity. When Solomon's temple was destroyed by the Babylonians and the 
the Jewish exiles came back after the captivity in Ezra and Nehemiah. It records the building, the rebuilding of the temple. It was the second temple. Yet there was another temple that the Bible prophesied of. And the prophet said, the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the glory of the former house. And when it's recorded there where, where the, the builders have built the temple and they're dedicating the second temple, it says those Jews that had been in Jerusalem and had seen Solomon's temple, who remembered Solomon's temple, wept at the dedication of the second temple because it did not compare to the glory of Solomon's temple. Yet the prophet said, the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the glory of the former house. He is called the branch that will build the temple of the Lord. Listen to the words of Jesus recorded for us in John chapter 2, verses 19 and 21. And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple. Now Jesus is in that temple. He's in Jerusalem. He's in the second temple. He's with his disciples. He's talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders who are questioning him and, and who he is. And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Jesus declared himself to be the promised temple of the Lord. He is the branch that will build the temple of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 16, um, excuse me, Matthew chapter, yes, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. When Jesus asked his disciples a question, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're uh, Jeremiah. Some say you're John the Baptist, come back. Some say you're the prophet. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter says, Peter, Jesus says to Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven, has made this known to you. And then Jesus gives Peter a new name. His name was Cephas. Bar-Jonah, he was the son of Jonah. Simon Bar-Jonah. He said, you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. Not, not upon the man Peter, but he gives Peter a name that means little rock. It was upon the rock. Who is Jesus? He's called the rock. He's called the rock of our salvation. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon this rock of revelation, upon this rock, this revelation of who I am. Who are you? I'm not just a prophet. Peter declares, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, that is true. That has been revealed by my Father in heaven. It is upon that rock, upon Jesus the Christ. And Jesus said, I will build my 
church. Now that word church doesn't mean temple. That word church doesn't speak of a building. It literally does not mean a building or a temple. That word church literally means an assembly of called out people. So when Jesus says, I will build my church, he wasn't talking about building buildings, brick and mortar. He wasn't talking about tearing down the temple in Jerusalem and rebuilding that temple again. When Jesus said, I will build my church, he was talking about building something with his people, with a called out assembly of people. The body of Christ, the church, is called the temple of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Paul writes, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Paul writes again, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? I'm talking to you today about the promise of a name. And the promise that name holds has changed you. It has made you something now that you were not before. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, in whom the whole building, he's talking about the body of Christ, he's talking about the church, he's talking about the called out assembly. He's talking about the people of God. Remember, you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That wasn't just speaking of ethnic Jews. That was speaking of everyone in the world who would become the children of God. That was speaking of you and I today. That was speaking of you and me today We are in this world. We are of this world. And then Jesus saves us and we are no longer of this world, though we might be in it. You understand what I'm saying? You are born of this world. You are born again of the Spirit and you are now in the world. But when you're born again, you're no longer of the world. You were a natural born human being, when you're born again, you become a spiritual born new creation in Christ Jesus. And when you become that, here's what the Bible says, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. When you become a new creation, when you are born again, the Bible says you become the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And what is Jesus doing? He is building His church. He is building this holy temple. He is building this holy habitation. He is building this house. Who is Jesus? He is called the branch that will build the temple of the Lord. You are the temple that Jesus is building even right now. That is the promise. And that is the power of a name. It's not your name that brings that about. It is his name that has brought that about. And in the new heaven and the new earth, there is no temple that is made with hands. 
John, the revelator, records for us in Revelation 21, 22, but I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. All of these people waiting for a temple to be rebuilt somewhere so that Jesus can come back and oversee sacrifices in it. Sorry, it ain't going to happen. Because the temple, who is Jesus, has already been rebuilt. That was rebuilt when he was resurrected from death three days after his crucifixion. He is the temple not made with hands. He is the temple that's revealed to us, that's shown to us in the book of Revelation. He is the temple that every other temple spoke of. When Solomon built his temple, it was Jesus that Solomon spoke of. When Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilt the temple again, it was pointing us to Jesus. And when Jesus comes and he walks into that temple and he says, tear this temple down and in three days I will raise it up, they said, you're crazy. But the Bible says that Jesus wasn't talking about a temple made with hands. He was talking about the temple of his body. And in the new heaven and the new earth, in the regeneration, John says, I saw no temple for God Almighty and the Lamb were its temple. All that in a name. In John 15, verse 1, he is called the true vine. He is the vine. Jesus said, you are the branches. My Father is the vine dresser. He is the vine, you are the branches. In him, we are made fruitful. Apart from him, we can do nothing. In him, you produce fruit and you glorify the Father. Apart from him, you can do nothing. You are fit only for the fire. Jesus said. In Revelation 19, 16, he is called the King of kings and the Lord of lords. By his name, he has made us kings and priests. In fact, he calls us a royal priesthood. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Could you move to England today and decide that you want to become part of the royal family? I mean, if you were just really nice and you'd bake, you know, a pie for the queen and said, look, I baked this nice pie for the queen. I really want to be part of her royal family. Do you think they'd let you do that? No, they wouldn't. How do you become part of the royal family. Can you buy your way in? Can you work your way in? No, you have to be born into it. The Bible says that God has made us kings and priests. How did we become royalty? Did we work our way into it? Did we buy our way into it? Can you go to church enough to become a member of God's royal family? Can you work hard enough to become a member of God's royal family? Can you pay enough money to become a member of God's royal family? No. No to all of those. You cannot. How do you become a member of God's royal family? You have to be born into it. You have to bear the name. Or Revelation 5 verse 10 
They sang a new song to the Lamb. Here's, here's one of the verses of the song. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. You have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. A lot of people think they're going to spend eternity in heaven. Actuality, you're going to spend eternity on the earth. Earth is coming to heaven. Heaven and earth are merging, and we will reign on the earth. We're not going to be floating around in clouds in space for all eternity. No, we're going to reign right here on the earth. Jesus said, the meek shall inherit the earth. Who are the meek? The meek are all of those who bear his name. This is the promise of a name. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, kings and priests, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We have now obtained mercy. And he has promised to give us his name. Listen to Revelation 2.17. Jesus records this letter. He he. He has John record this letter. These are the words of Jesus. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. I will give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Do you know the world doesn't understand who you are? If you are in Christ today, if you bear the name of Christ, do you know that the world does not understand who you are? The world does not know you. The world does not know who you are. They can't comprehend who you are as much as they might try. They can't do it. They do not know the meaning of this name. Only you Truly know the meaning of the name that's been given to you. Revelation 3, 11 through 12. Jesus writing a letter to the church at Philadelphia. Jesus writes, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, there's that word again. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. God's promise to you is that he will write on you his name. He will make you a pillar in his temple. Now that's speaking metaphorically because we know there is not going to be a temple where Jesus is talking about. He is the temple. That means for you to be a pillar in his temple, you must be in him. Remember, he's the vine, you're the branches. Where does the branch abide? It abides in the vine. You're in him. Where is the pillar? It's in the temple. You're in him. 
How did you come to be in him? Because he has given you his name. How did you become a king, a priest, a royal priesthood? Because he, through a new birth, gave you his name. He has promised to give us his name. He's written on you his name. The promise of His name is given to those who overcome. Listen to Revelation 12, 11 through 10. John is writing, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come for the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even to death. 1 John 3, 8, Jesus came to do what? To destroy the works of the devil. To him who overcomes, I will give a new name. Well, how do we overcome? You need more ammo? You need bigger weapons? Need to run faster? Get stronger? No, that's not how you overcome. The Bible says, here's how they overcame. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. What's happened to the accuser? He's gone. That's how your enemy has been disarmed. God has taken away the accusation. There is no more an accusation that can be brought against you. He has completely disarmed the enemy. How did that happen? Because you live such a clean life? No, that happened because of the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb took away your sin. The blood of the Lamb made you new. The blood of the Lamb applied to you means a name was given to you. It was the name of Jesus. It's the name of the Most High. You now are a king and a priest to your God, you have been born again into the royal family and the accuser can bring no accusation against you because you have overcome by the blood of the lamb. And the word of your testimony is not look how good I am. The word of your testimony is by the blood of the lamb I have overcome. God has given me a new name. God has given me his name. This is our promise. This is our testimony. We don't overcome by our own effort, by our good works, by our deeds of the flesh. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony that comes from the abundance of our heart of faith that is gifted to us by God. The word of your testimony is the faith that comes from your heart through your lips declaring what Christ has done. We overcome because he has given us his name. Christmas is the promise of our salvation given to us in his name. The name of Jesus. Jesus is the salvation of God. We overcome because he has overcome. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ, you have already overcome. Your outcome is not in doubt. Your victory is not in doubt. It has been secured. By Jesus Christ himself. 
even in the midst of fiery trials, in the face of our enemy who rages because his time is short, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because we have overcome, because he has given us his name, and no one can take from us what God has given to us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, yeah, they can kill your body, but they can't destroy your soul. Don't fear those who can kill your body. Fear him who has power to destroy your soul in hell. Listen, if you are trusting in Jesus today, you can rest assured that your soul will never be destroyed in hell, but you will inherit and live in joy unspeakable and full of glory in eternal life in the presence of Jesus Christ because he has given to you his name. By grace, through faith. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Because he has come and he has overcome. He has given us his name and in his name, he has also caused us to overcome. I want to invite you to prepare now to come to the Lord's table. It is because of His name, it is by His name that we can come to this table week in and week out. This table is about Him. And because this table is about Him, it is also about you. Because you are His body. Remember, you are the body of Christ. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are the dwelling place of God. You are the vessel that contains His presence even now because God caused you to be born again into His family. This table declares our victory. It declares that we have overcome in His name. It is His name, His body, His blood that we proclaim when we come to this table. It is His death that we proclaim when we come to this table. And it is also his life that we proclaim. As you trust in Jesus, I invite you, come to this table. Well, let's stand. I'm going to give you your charge. And we'll pray for our meal next door, our luncheon, uh, before we go. Hope you all. We'll stay and celebrate the life of this little one. Here is your charge. Not only in this season, but every day. Remember that Jesus has come and that he is coming again. Until then, know that he has overcome. He has given you his name by grace through faith. And you too have overcome in his name. Not only in this season, but every day is a day to rejoice, a day to celebrate, for our overcoming is not conditioned upon our circumstances or our situations. Our overcoming is secured for us in Christ, and He has given to you His name to guarantee that. I charge you to walk 
in faith, to war in faith, to resist the devil in faith, to be a person, to be a people who walk in the overcoming victory that has been secured for us in his name. I started with this. I want to leave you with this. That you remember a name represents you and you represent a name. To come before the Father, it is Christ. It is the name of Christ that represents you before the Father. As you live in this world, it is the name of Christ that you represent to the world around you. So there is a name that represents you and there is a name that you represent. Let your life reflect that name, its power, its transformation. You are in the world, but you are not of this world. For that, we have reason to be merry. Merry Christmas.